This episode was recorded on the country of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to extend our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And we'd like to extend those respects to the traditional custodians on the lands wherever you may listen to this podcast. One of the best ways to practice sharing your story is to talk to school kids because they ask you the wildest questions. You have to keep them entertained. So it's a great way to practice honing and practice and hone sharing your story. Our weekly podcast is proudly sponsored by LAWD, the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. Just last week, Danny Thomas, a senior director at LAWD, was chatting at the Farm Riders lunch in uh, Sydney. Put a question to the audience. Farm prices today are at record highs. When was the last time we saw a decrease in Australian farmland prices? I'll be very interested to see the answers. Hit us up on social media. So we'll pose the question and we'll have the answer. G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. We are already into April and I don't know, what would that take us to? 12 episodes down for the year, which is just crazy. Easter is just around the corner, which means a good little break for everyone. And also, if you're in Sydney, 200 years of the Sydney Royal Easter show is just around the corner. Our next guest is actually someone who is going to be very involved with the Sydney show this year. Dion Howard is a district vet with the New South Wales Local Land Services. Growing up, she wasn't sure if she wanted to be a human doctor or an animal doctor, but there were probably two things which swayed her towards her career as a vet. The first being that she could study vet close to home, and secondly, and maybe slightly bigger, was that she wasn't the biggest fan of human blood. Today we're chatting a little bit more about Dion's story, how she's been involved in various youth groups, working with school students, um, her role as part of the Young Farming Champions group. And today, the job and what it looks like as a local land services vet. We chat about everything from stepping into the job in drought and bushfires through to helping out the various aspects of the pandemic as well. Dion, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Thanks for having me here, Ollie. How, um, how excited are you for the upcoming Sydney Royal? I am very excited. I actually um, sent my mum a text message last night saying, I think I'm nearly already packed, but I've, I didn't think I could get more excited slash nervous slash whatever the feeling is than I was last year when I competed in the New South Wales version of the program. But it's certainly a similar feeling again this year. Is it the nerves are really bubbling away there? Yeah, I think it's just like the excitement of getting to go back again after such a wonderful experience that I got to have last year and meet a whole new lot of people and um, really get to, I suppose, immerse myself in it. That's what I, I really realised after the end of the program last year, that it's a very, very much an immersion into everything Sydney Royal and all the wonderful people and characters that make up that um, spectacle each year. And extra exciting this year, it's 200 years of the Sydney show. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, quite the celebration. Very much looking forward to the show. And the history of the show is, I think, what makes it so special and the traditions and the way that the traditions have come through generations and people whose grandparents, grandparents, great-grandparents were all involved in the show, but also how welcoming that community is for new people that want to take part and come on board. Uh, Very special 
yeah group of people and tradition that is so beautiful that it still exists in metropolitan Sydney like it's just incredible all of their agricultural pursuits that come in and all of the other interests um, draws a very wide community to come and participate. It's a pretty happening couple of weeks. I, I want to know, speaking of tradition, so you grew up, you're from down near Wagga, but you grew up on a family farm? Yeah, definitely. Yep. So that um, family farm is at a locality called Milbrolong. So that's a tiny little spot. You do have to slow down to 50, but that's pretty <laughs> much it. There's silos. Um, and it's located halfway between um, Lockhart and Henty. So Henty, home of the Henty Machinery Field Days. And Lockhart's the veranda town. They're out there, the couple of claims to fame for that area. And it's yeah, in the southern Riverina. So, yeah, um, sheep and cropping, winter cropping that I grew up with there. And from a young age, tell me, like, what, what are some of your earliest memories uh, in ag? Oh, definitely, I think sheep feeding, like feeding sheep with my dad, um, going around in the paddocks and particularly like the sheep coming up to the ute as you trailed out grain feed, that was pretty special and um, early days, you know, getting to have a little steer of the ute. Um, that was a little bit of fun, a bit of freedom and getting to get the lay of the land of the farm. And I think another big one being in that mixed farming enterprise is the, the harvest time and hopping up in the header and watching all of that happen from up in the box seat um, the all the people that come together at harvest time to make it happen on those really hot days and yeah the, there's a lot of special memories definitely from growing up we also used to have um, a ram sale so we have a, um, a merino stud on my family's property and we don't have an on-property sale anymore but when I was growing up we used to have a on-property ram sale um, in the springtime each year and getting ready for that and setting up the pens and then putting the putting the merino rams in there and everyone coming to the farm and especially that I suppose the celebration after the sale finished. Did you did you have a job when you were for, for those ram sale days as a kid? Did, did you get given a, a certain job which was very important? I got given little jobs that kept me busy. Yeah. <laughs> not really I just used to have the um the the catalogue and I used to have to write down what each of the rams sold for so that they could um, have that record at the end I'm sure someone else was doing that but that was my little treat and then when I was very little I would actually walk along in between the pens of rams alongside um, dad when the agents were walking along selling them so yeah lots of really special memories from growing up on that farm yeah. I remember um, just sale days are fun in themselves but turning up to a, to a ram sale of a few years ago and the kids had been given the important job of uh, like parking attendance, I reckon. And so oh. they were out there, thought they were doing every, everything right, like just so exciting, hands going, directing traffic, stopping cars. It was like, like any kid's dream nearly. Just <laughs> Yeah, and, well, and being that first point of contact for everyone as they kept turning up to your place, like whether yeah. I was giving them the catalogue, yeah, when you give them the catalogues and all of that. No, it's it's lovely, like the... the um, the family side of things with stud animals of any kind really but yeah that was pretty pretty fun growing up was there an ov obvious career path for you at home or in agriculture that you kind of started to see from a young age um to be honest like I always thought that I would 
leave the farm and go and do something off farm really um that's early early days like end of primary school and start of high school and then I went to high school locally to where I grew up at a school called St Paul's College at Walla Walla and I loved studying ag agriculture there as a subject and I participated in the high school show team and I was like this is actually what I want to do for my job I don't have to I don't have to go anywhere I can stay rurally and locally and have a very cool career so um it did come down to crunch time when I like was looking at university options do I become a human doctor or an animal doctor and I think definitely the appeal of being able to stay and study locally and in Wagga meant that um, the vet pursuit was where it went for me. And, and was that a really obvious choice? Or was it something that you mulled over a fair bit between humans or animals? I definitely mulled over it a bit, but I don't really enjoy human blood. So <laughs> that ended up being quite the um, deciding factor for me. So yeah, I'll leave that to my brother. He's going to be a human doctor. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah, I'll do the, do the animal side of things and still get to work outside and work with farmers. So that was definitely, I think they were all the, the swaying um, concepts for me that, yeah, ended up leading me down that path. I feel there's lots of people out there. I'm definitely one of them who had that dream of being a vet and then uh, might not have been able to get the marks or something uh, myself to actually get into vet school. But is it is it what you expected? It was I certainly so with the way that you have to get into vet science in Wagga there's a lot of prac and prior doing placement that is required so I certainly got to have a lot of conversations with vets well before I ever put my application in and had a fair grasp on how tricky the course would be and actually the profession is and so I I feel like I was quite prepared for that um but I I mean, I don't think anything can prepare you for the slog of five and a half years in it, at university and the placement that's required to tick all the boxes to graduate as a vet and then the, the job itself once you graduate. But it's certainly, you know, we're doing it for because, because we love it and because we love working with animals and in my particular case too, because I love working with farmers and working in my you know, local area where I grew up to support that that farming community. So I don't know what I expected really probably as a 17, 18-year-old putting my hat in the ring, but I'm certainly grateful that it's the path that I chose and what I'm working in now. When did you become a full-time vet? I graduated university in 2018, so coming up to four years ago. And the hell was that? Because 18, 19 across a lot of New South Wales was fairly tough, but walking into kind of the vet profession during drought times, how, how was that for you guys? Yeah, so I graduated and went into a very similar role that I'm in now as a district veterinarian, except I was in a slightly different area. So I covered around hay in the Western Riverina. And it was, yeah, as you said, a really tough time. It was a fast track into learning about animal nutrition full hand feeding, confinement feeding, and actually also just being like a listening ear to what people were going through, how difficult it was to find feed for stock, how many stock were having to be sold. 
So it was a fast track into actually building relationships with people just as much as the veterinary work itself. And also being able to, I suppose, read the room or read the paddock wherever you ended up meeting someone and know perhaps that there are a few other conflicting things going on at the time when you turn up and have a look at their um, sick or dying stock. Yeah, like because... I've got a, a couple of people I know who are involved in the vet space and it's it's a tough industry like when it comes to people generally aren't calling you to have a fantastic chat and celebrate their animals. It's It can be in some pretty tough circumstances, particularly with kind of external pressures there with drought and those things. How like Is, is there certain things which have stood out to you um, around that <clears throat> and um, in, in terms of, yeah, dealing with those challenges? Like how, how do you front up or prepare when you're going into kind of an unknown environment when you're seeing someone for the first time? Yeah, definitely. Because even so in our job, there's, because we are working with rate payers who pay for their local land services rates, there's not even that um, regularity of in the private vet sense, going out and doing something like preg testing or carvings and you get to see people regularly. You don't get to have that, rapport necessarily you build it up over a fair bit longer amount of time so I think I always just go into places with a super open mind and try and get a bit of a gauge of how people are going just from the get-go obviously we get to have a great conversation with them usually on the phone well before we get there ask them some of those key questions and then when we're actually out there depending on whatever we're working on when we're out on farm whether it's collecting say blood samples or whether we're doing a post-mortem as much as I'm there doing my job trying to work out what's going on with animals I'm also trying to ask questions about the person's farming system what else is going on on their plate on their radar on the farm at that time and then potentially have got to work in strategies for animal health in everything else that's going on on their farm at the time so yeah I think it's about keeping a really open mind and having some yeah, good general chit chat and banter well before you actually start looking at the animals. Um, if they are offering to show me some interesting, usually sometimes whether it's a bit of machinery or, you know, their containment feeding set up on the way back to my car um, that's something that I'll usually take on board just to sort of get an idea of what's going on with, them in their place and what they do on their farm so yeah they're all sort of things that I suppose I use and I try and also get along to like things like field days or um, events and things and I suppose yeah show my face and see them in perhaps a different setting that's not on their farm when they've had to call me out because they've got an issue with their animals. Plenty of farm tours, I reckon. That yeah, plenty to go of farm on. tours. Not, <laughs> not as many scones maybe as I thought, no, but that's probably good <laughs> put that down in the cons list yeah (laughs) has there been a a defining moment or something which really stands out to you in terms of your career that like you found your calling as a vet and you go wow like I'm I'm in the right space I'm this is exactly me yeah I just I think it's actually it's weird but it's like the mundane like it's the everyday like I love hopping in the car and popping in my address that I'm going to on my on my maps app and just setting sail and getting to drive through towns 
suss out what's going on at, at that particular place or what's changed in that town. I love driving around, it sounds weird, but yeah, at harvest time or the changes of seasons and seeing like particularly because last year was, was such a good turn of events and getting to see what a prosperous year we had in our region. But yeah, definitely the, um, I think it's, for me, it's the everyday. It's, it's me having that realisation of like, I'm driving around like, this is actually my job. I get to do, you know, I get to do this. And um, another defining moment for me, but it probably flips that on its head in terms of realising that what I was doing was really, is really purposeful was certainly probably after those like 2019, early 2020 bushfires and assisting in that response, um, a very different, I suppose, emotional side of things, but certainly felt like I was able to help people in a really um, severe time of need and, um, yeah, provide that, that care and when we, were, when we were doing assessment of livestock post the fires. Was there... Like the fires themselves, I completely say. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported? Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more forgot about them but in terms of yeah the, like there has been a lot of kind of natural disaster events that you guys have had to front up to is there so what is the difference between say a, a private practice vet versus local land services in a day-to-day life but then also too when it comes to those kind of bigger events like natural disasters or disease for instance yeah so um day-to-day sense as a local land services district vet we are going out to cases that are more than one animal affected in a flock or herd health sense. We're not doing treatments as such. So we are going out to, for the most part, rule out emergency and exotic diseases. And that's really what it all comes down to, being able to rule out those diseases and maintain Australia's trade and trading partners um, and tick those boxes that we're free of those crucial diseases that could impact our trade. Interesting. And then, so in a emergency sense, um, we as the as in local land services in New South Wales, we have an emergency function. So when there's natural disasters like um, fires, floods, um, truck rollovers, that sort of thing with livestock, that we are called in to assist with with those sorts of functions. And then in other, I suppose, emergencies. Um, even like in, in the COVID last year, um, local land services staff could also assist with tracing, assisting with New South Wales Health. So when different parts of the government require assistance in emergency responses, that's how we sort of work in with other agencies, whether it's other parts of government or um, 
rural fire service SES, depending on what the emergency is. Well, certainly busy and varied. Um, yeah, definitely. It, being a vet's only one part of kind of your involvement in agriculture, but I'm, I'm interested. So what, what did get you involved in these youth and agriculture programs and when did that happen? Um, so I had to, so when I was in um, early university, I, as much as I was in my first year of vet science, I also decided to sink my teeth into lots of other opportunities. Apparently I thought I needed to do all of that as well as studying full-time. So <laughs> I studied um, bull classing at TAFE and I also did the intercollegiate meat judging competition. And when I went to the, through wool casting at TAFE, went to the inaugural Australian Wool Innovation National Merino Challenge. And I absolutely loved what they were trying to do. And it was very similar, I suppose, in a sense to what intercollegiate meat judging is doing, bringing lots of young, passionate people together. And I actually did contact the guys at Australian Wool Innovation following that to see what other opportunities there were available. And fortunately, they saw that I was pretty keen. And um, in the following years, they supported me to be a young farming champion. So that's how I got involved with that particular program. And so what does a young farming champion do? And what, yeah, how, do you, how does someone become one? Yeah, sure. So the Young Farming Champions program, which has really evolved, I suppose, since I became involved in 2015, which is actually coming up to seven years ago, which has gone very quickly. But um, so young farming champions get to participate in their initial first two years of training, professional development. And that involves all sorts of types of training from presentation skills to career development and mindset work. And then as part of getting to hone and share your story, the organisation now called Action for Agriculture, they have worked out that to the, one of the best ways to practice sharing your story is to talk to school kids because they ask you the wildest questions. You have to keep them entertained. So it's a great way to practice honing and practice and hone sharing your story. So as a young farming champion, you get to go into schools in Action for Agriculture school programs known as the Archie Bull Prize and Creative Koalas. Share your story and as well as that, hopefully inspire some students to pursue a career in agriculture or at least know where their food and fibre comes from and a bit more about it when they become consumers pretty soon. It's interesting, isn't it? Like choosing, I love that, practice sharing your story with school kids because of the curiosity and questions and yeah, what are, what are some funny ones that you've had over the years? Well, being a vet, like you get obviously all the, the hardest ones straight yeah. up about <laughs> um, animals and, and life and death and, and all those hard-hitting questions, but it is great to be able to work out answers to that because that is what kids want to know. But, gosh, everything from like how many sheep are on your farm to how do you shear a sheep and, and so many aspects because I – in particular, I have focused on the wool industry in, in my visits with schools and sharing my story. But, yeah, the, the range of different questions and no school and class is the same. That's the hardest thing. There's 
well, not hard, but it makes you really have to think because no questions are the same. Every school and every student has something something new to ask and it's great because it means that you can practice thinking on your feet and um, also engaging with the class of students based on perhaps the questions that they ask you to. Was it a big time commitment to do it? Yeah, it definitely has been over the years. Um, prior to the last couple of years, I w- would visit at least a couple of schools each year. So depending on which schools participated in those programs, um, there was, I went to a couple of schools in Brisbane, went to Bombala, went to Mossvale. So just depends on that particular year and which schools take part. But lots of travelling and really interesting, though, to be able to get to see different parts of the world as part of those programs. I bet. And so now today as, as the chair, like what, what does your involvement look like around working full-time? Yeah, so my involvement has certainly changed over the years and I have been fortunate enough to actually get to, I suppose, think a little bit more strategic about it all too and, and step up on the Action for Agriculture board. And so as the, as the chair of the Young Farming Champions leadership team, that's been a really wonderful experience to be able to support and mentor other young champ, young farming champions coming through and to be able to, I suppose, set a bit of a direction when I've been involved in the program for quite a few years now to see what workshops on that professional development side of things work, um, what ones do people really engage with or what are potential avenues and opportunities that people need And then to also be able to support people to go into schools and have those wonderful experiences with students and and teachers. And then the end of both of the programs involves an award ceremony at the end of the year. So that's a wonderful culmination for all the young farming champions to get to come together and celebrate that with the students and schools that they've worked with throughout the year. That's cool. How many young farming champions are there? There has been actually over 100 people that have participated in Young Farming Champions since it began. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's usually at any one time about 20 active alumni, but it is a, it's wonderfully structured in that people can sort of dip their toe in and out depending on what's going on in their life um, because obviously young people, there's there's a fair bit happening at any given time, whether it's personal or professional pursuits that change and circumstances change but if it feels right and works out for people to come back in and still participate in the in the workshop side of things there's that opportunity which is really good i'm i'm interested in your perspective on this so there is so many different things that people can get involved in you've been involved in quite a few different activities as as a young person why like were you doing this for from an industry point of view or was it really kind of first and foremost about building your skills and capabilities um, as an individual? Yeah, I think probably all the way through and potentially at different times in my life and career now, it's been always a bit of both for me. Yeah. So I see that like as, as a young wool industry ambassador, which is ultimately why I entered into the program and what I'm keen to continue on with now and where a few other opportunities have led me to participating in other programs. I think I'm super keen to be able to support my industry, tell my story 
and be a face of someone working in the wool industry and the many facets of that and all the different people along that supply chain. And then for myself, obviously the growth, personal and professional growth that I've been able to see by um, participating in such a, a program that does support people all the way through that development rather than necessarily um, being a, a short acting, that sort of program. It's been able to support me all the way through that career and life development. So, which is, I think, quite unique of Young Farming Champions as well. Yeah, it's really cool. I think it's definitely one thing, chatting with mates outside of ag, one thing that is really awesome about our industry is just how many opportunities there are and how supportive people are of young people, but also off the back of that too, just how, in a sense, how small the industry is in terms of who you can access and who's willing to be in here and help you out. It's, um, it's cool and it's, it's great to hear the, the different things that you've been involved in. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, ag is definitely a very small world. <laughs> it most certainly is. All of that, I think, has led into a, a couple of different things and kind of why we're chatting and in the lead up to the Sydney Royal Show is around the National Rural Ambassador Program. So there's a, a few different people over a couple of years as well coming, coming together as part of this, which I think will be really cool because you get to see kind of two cohorts coming together and, and spending time. But you were involved in the New South Wales competition last year. Like what, what does the experience at the Sydney show look like and what was it that drew you into it? Yeah, so um, the experience at Sydney show I and the, and the New South Wales program, I had actually applied a little while before and not been um, successful with getting in, but I went to the show in 2019 and had a wonderful experience getting to chat with people, young people, just being a spectator at the show. I went to, went to the Young Auctioneers competition and walked around the show and saw lots of familiar faces and it really reinvigorated me to reapply and a couple of years on hopefully have a slightly better resume and hone, you know, what I was going to talk about. And so, yeah, I was drawn to applying because of the really good feedback that I'd had from past other past participants in the New South Wales program and that I thought like what a wonderful way to get to see Sydney show from basically from the behind the scenes and to get to embark upon a program there for multiple days and that's certainly what that program does provide and um, yeah get to meet these people there's so there's seven of us in our cohort and we just spent these six or seven days back to back with each other and even just that group the friendships developed were really amazing and I think will certainly be long lasting which is really cool is it pretty tiring a few days yeah you've got to find that second wind halfway (laughs) through oh um but no very much worthwhile and I think it's just what you make it like you can you can go to bed early every night and the odd night I did have to smoke bomb just to get through the next day. But most of the time it was, it was just, it was in adrenaline rush the whole time. So you just had to feed off that and make the most of all the opportunities that came up that week. You'd want to have some pretty comfy shoes, I reckon too, the amount of walking and distances you'd cover. Yeah. I've actually invested in some slightly comfier ones this year because of some learnings last year. (laughs) And, and the road in, so are you involved in your local shows? Were you, have you been historically, like, is that the path that you've taken? 
So I certainly had been involved in my local show as a little one, like many moons ago, and had got keen again in high school when I was involved in my school show team. But I probably, as far as local shows go, had not been able to really tap into that for a few years in the lead up to me applying at um, Sydney Royal, which is the beauty of it because it's actually brought me full circle. So since then, I've been um, really inspired to get back and join that local show society. And I'm actually, I've taken on the position of coordinating the um, Young Rural Woman of the Year competition locally. So what was formerly known as Showgirl, now Young Rural Woman of the Year. So to be able to coordinate that locally this year should be really fun. And yeah, I think as while I probably perhaps haven't typically taken that um, journey from all the way from my local show, I feel like it still had a great outcome for my local show that I've been able to come back and help out. One thing we haven't talked about, and it probably ties in nicely with getting back right into the thick of things with your community is actually spending a bit of time you've lived close to home and within kind of the, the vicinity of your local town but not actually within it and you're you're making the decision to move back to the farm aren't you yeah I'm just keen to yeah very very excited to um, make the move home in a few weeks time now actually and keen to be able to jump back into some of those local community groups and just to be yeah back on the scene I might not be um as Oh, hopefully I'm more helpful than I was as a little kid helping dad out with feeding sheep and <laughs> hopefully I can be a bit more useful at harvest but yeah still keen to obviously do my vet work but to be back in that um, local home patch very exciting. Was that something that was always on the cards or has it just been kind of a matter of circumstance that's opened that back up? Um, probably a bit of a matter of circumstance as well as yeah just I think all the stars aligning and coming together and that's, I think, what's been really good about it, that there's never been, I suppose, that pressure that I had to do that by any means. But it's just the way, I suppose, that the cookies crumbled and um, very much grateful that that's an opportunity that's ahead of me for sure. Yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, I think, well, I think there's probably lots of different questions we could ask. But uh, I'm interested in your advice to school kids. You've obviously spent a lot of time talking to them through through the various programs over the last couple of years or last six or seven years uh but you get the chance to go and talk to year 10 students what's your advice to them about a career in agriculture yeah so I love starting off um with with like what do kids want to do when they leave school and actually linking it back to agriculture rather than perhaps making them have to choose something within this the you know the typical agricultural realm actually showing them how nearly whatever or whatever field they want to be involved in or whatever their favorite subject is at school any of those factors and interests can actually link back to and have a career in agriculture or play a role in supporting agricultural careers too so that's sort of how I frame it back to them because um the when we put together a map of careers along the say for example the wool supply chain it just gets crazy because there's so many different ways that they can be involved and I think I also 
one thing I do do is encourage kids to get out and have a look and, and see if they are half keen to have a career in agriculture to try and do some work experience or spend some time in that field. Um, and to also, yeah, be very aware that most of the careers in agriculture are beyond the farm gate. So if they don't necessarily have a connection to a farm, there's certainly ways that they can see farms and be involved with them, but they can certainly be involved in agriculture and have nothing to do, never have to set foot on a farm either. Now there is so many different careers. And I think that's one thing which is really exciting, kind of the way society is moving and the importance of agriculture and food is shifting or maybe how people view it. The, it is, how do, you, how do you attract these people? And it is, is away from just the traditional ag science, ag economics, whatever the degrees might be. It's yeah, looking at all kinds of different careers, even school teachers, like there's such an opportunity for people to do that in agriculture or in a rural community and work in an area in a place that, yeah, is, can be incredibly impactful. Yeah, I think, and I think the last couple of years that we've seen and like at various times, different food shortages and produce shortages um, on those shelves have certainly brought that importance of that awareness back to the everyday consumer or consumer of, of food and fiber, whether it's kids and what they typically have in their lunchbox or what they, what they're wearing, that sort of thing. So we've got the, we've got a real opportunity now to be able to tell that story and um, make sure that, yeah, I suppose in agriculture that we can share what we want to about those, those very important supply chains. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's like, in terms of, I'm just thinking, as you say that in terms of how we share it, like it, TikTok, I'm not really on it, but that certainly seems to be that there's more and more kind of rural people and different personalities, which are popping up from a agriculture perspective that are sharing what they do. And I think like they get, because it's all video based, it's like they, they've got kind of the best backdrops every day that is so successful in terms of the followings that they can get um, just by sharing what, what they're up to on kind of any given day. Yeah, and I think it's just about like, well, to be honest, we're all creating content. Like we all have our phones out and we're videoing yeah. things or taking photos of them. It's about, yeah, putting, I suppose, putting yourself out there to share that information. And I think also perhaps being equipped with the skills to to answer questions about what people what you're posting to so if there's people that want to know more feeling comfortable to engage in conversation and to have a really honest and transparent conversation with whatever perspective they're coming from to be able to share that but yeah like honestly you can put a few photos or videos to some music and become an overnight sensation it's pretty cool like to be able to get that story out there if you want to Absolutely. No, it is. It is very exciting. Well, Dion, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat and good luck with everything Sydney Royal over the next few weeks. And hopefully I'll, yeah. I might bump into you there. Yeah, hopefully that'd be great. I'm really looking forward to it and bring it on. Only a few sleeps to go. Have fun. Thanks for coming on for a chat. Well, that's it from us for another week. Thank you so much for tuning in again to this episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. If you're around the Sydney Royal Easter show at any stage over the weekend, make sure you hit us up on socials at Humans of Agriculture with an underscore. 
might see you guys somewhere around the traps. Hopefully, and maybe just hopefully, we might even find a wood chopper or two we can get on the podcast. Look after yourselves, stay safe. We look forward to joining you next week on another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast.